Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody. We're back for the final Forza Italian Football Podcast of the season. It's the 2021-22 season review pod. And what a season it was. I'm Connor Clancy. I'm joined by Vito Doria. Vito, good morning. Hello. How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm feeling better than what I did on the weekend. <laughs> we had mm. the gas set for about three nights. So, yeah, oh, no. that was not that wasn't good. But, yeah, now I'm glad because... Uh, it's uh, close to winter now in Australia, so glad to have the central heating back. <laughs> we've we've been having crises left, right, and center on FIF because I had no electricity last week. So you and had to step up at the last minute to host. You had no gas. It's it's been a bit of a disaster. But Burnsy is here with us as well. He, he's the third member of the pod. You and hello, hello. Are we going to pretend that we didn't record a podcast already today and speak for an hour already? <laughs> yeah, I'm already warmed up. Yeah, but we had we had time to warm down and then warm back up in the meantime because that was about six hours ago. But I, you and I both recognized as soon as we saw Vito Doria that it was quite clearly very early in the morning where he is. So Vito, we, you need to explain to the listeners what time you woke up at this morning to do this podcast. I had my alarm set for 5 a.m. at Australian time. So Ridiculous. 5 a.m. doesn't matter which time in the world it is. It is early. But mm. uh, with my day job commitments, I have to head off as soon as we're finished recording this review. Like like a lot of people who work in football, and particularly in football online, my sleeping pattern is destroyed. So to me... 5 a.m. is not a morning time. There is there is the 5 a.m. that exists in the afternoon, and sometimes there's a 5 o'clock at night. It's never a morning time for me. So, <laughs> Vito, all power to you. Congratulations. We'll, we'll power through this together, and hopefully it won't be too, too dull. But I think it's fair to say there's a lot to talk about if we're getting through this 21-22 Serie A season. Should also say there's no Kev Pugzelski. He's He's still out in Paris after Liverpool's Champions League final defeat to Real Madrid. Burnsy, don't be smiling. And he's been in Disneyland today, and he doesn't look like he's having the best of times. So, Kev, we're sending you our thoughts. We, we do wish you were here, but we are quite pleased that the pod will probably be less than two hours in your absence. <laughs> so, no offence, mate, but here we are. We're here to talk about the, the season that was 2021-22. And we've got to start with the title race because for years and years and years, we've made our predictions on FIF. We will go through this season's uh, towards the end and I'm not looking forward to that part, to be honest. It'll expose us all as frauds. But basically every year, everyone says what they want to see this season is a title race. Ewan, 
we got one this year and a bloody good one because it went all the way to the last day of the season. So we can be happy. Oh, I think it was a relief to see that we got a title race, especially after doing the podcast for so many years and being with this website after so many years that uh, to finally get this battle with a few teams involved oh, was great. And then in the latter stages of the campaign to see it between the two uh, Milanese clubs, two powers of Italian football, I think that just added further spice to it. So to see that, you know, it went to the final day, uh, there were some key games, um, that was uh, great to see. And, of course, we saw AC Milan uh, win their first title in 11 seasons. And, uh, uh, in my opinion, they deserved it. They were a very consistent side. They did play some good football, but even when things weren't going their way or even if chances didn't fail their way, they still had that know-how to grind that result. So they were a very flexible side, in my view, under Stefano Pioli. And since he took over um, late in 2019, I think the team's just been gradually building up. They've slowly improved. And I think everyone involved at that club seen the results and the rewards. They absolutely have, and, and, and we as a Serie A audience have too. It has been quite good to see their rise, but it, I just I just want to talk about the title race because in, in recent years, we we were teased with a title race. You know, there was the year, the last year Juventus won it, Inter and Atalanta both finished close, but in reality, the title had been wrapped up for a few weeks. Last season, Milan pretended to be in the title race for a while, but in the end, Inter had it kind of signed off and, and done a few weeks before the end. This week I found myself, or this year rather, I found myself getting a little bit a little bit greedy because when it went to the final day, I wanted it to go for even longer. You know, I was praying that it would go until the, the 80th minute, the 90th minute, whatever. But in the end, Milan just stormed past Sassuolo and went 3-0 up so early on, largely thanks to to Rafael Liao. Um but we've we've just got to be pleased and, and Milan in the end, Vito, it's it's hard to say that they weren't deserving of their of their title. No, I don't think anyone would say that they didn't deserve it, unless you're an interista, of course. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, you know, when we do speak about Inter, you can't help but feel that there were some missed opportunities there because even without Antonio Conte there this season, uh, they still had the opportunities to go back-to-back in Serie A and uh, they could have uh, secured another Scudetto. Uh, however, they managed to lose it and uh, worst of all for them, they lose the title to the City rivals, so I'm sure that leaves a bitter taste in their mouths. Yeah, it absolutely does. But Milan, Milan, Milan. The When you look through this team, a lot of people say that they were quite unimpressive champions. And, and to an extent, I get that. They weren't... Like, Inter last year had a lot of excitement about them. Milan never really had that this season, but... When you try to pick them apart and look at the the keys to that team, it's hard to not just name the majority of their starting eleven. But if we were to narrow it down, I'd 
say that the, the five players that I'd point to the most based on their performances on the pitch and what they did on the pitch this season would probably be Mike Mignan, Fikayo Tomori, Sandro Tonali, Rafael Leao, and Olivier Giroud. I don't know if you'd add anyone or, or substitute anyone from those five, but for me, that's that's the spine that ultimately won Milan this Scudetto. I don't think I'd change anything from that. Those players you mentioned, they were decisive in many games and they all added their own qualities to this team. I think the signing of uh, Manian was a fundamental one because they had to replace Gianluigi Donnarumma, who was a fantastic shot stopper, but he was nonetheless prone to a share of errors and his ability to come off his line was a severe weak link. It was a, a problem and his skills with the ball at his feet was a problem. So to bring in someone like Manyan, who was a bargain at 15 million euros, and to see what he's done, I think he's been one of the buyers of the season, if not the best signing. Just the way he makes saves is fantastic. I mean, he's got great reflexes and he knows how to anticipate things. But uh, in Italy, I think it's still an issue having sweeper keepers. I think Italian goalkeepers or Serie A goalkeepers in general are very much of the old school. Just great shot stoppers, but nothing more. Manian is a truly modern goalkeeper. That He's got the great reflexes, but he's so comfortable with the ball at his feet. And even uh, if he's just standing in his penalty area, he still can pick out a pass to a teammate. So I think not only is it something that adds an extra dimension to Milan's play, but I think given what I've just said about Italian goalkeepers and the other goalkeepers have said, yeah, I think Magnan, he adds something a bit unique to the Italian game. So I think Magnan's fantastic. Tonali's just improved tenfold. He's really showing that greater maturity and he knows how to control the midfield. Giroud's experience has been so important because he's shown over his career he is a man for the big occasion. And uh, as I've pointed out in the last couple of pods, Leao's really made that left-wing position his own. He's just really um, blossomed. Uh, his skills, his pace have been uh, an incredible part of this team. And in those later rounds, he really showed that when Milan needed to ensure that the title was sealed, he stood up with his goals and his assists. So I think it was a great campaign from him. And given his age, I think uh, there's even further room to grow as well. And you can only imagine what his ceiling would be. How high can he peak as a footballer? I think what I find so sort of impressive about this Milan team is that in comparison to Inter, I think of them as more of a more of a collective rather than necessarily mm. like I, I feel like the individuals are more defined at Inter, but then also you can pick out all those players that you lot have talked about as really deeply impressive individuals. I think that that is the sign of what makes them a really good team. If, if you think of them as being a cohesive unit primarily but the individual parts, you can vividly define what each one of them is doing and how good they really are. I think ultimately that was a difference. I think Inter in the end, a few of them were a bit too individualistic. It's 
it is a funny one because uh, there's the the Chalonoglu angle that we could probably veer into from there, but we we probably won't. We might talk about it when we discuss Inter, but I don't particularly plan on it. But what you're saying there, you and you've got to give that credit or the credit for that to the the man in charge of it all, Stefano Pioli, right? Because he's he's proven himself to be a bit of a weird coach in recent seasons. And I, I think that is highlighted by this Milan side. Um, I I don't know if I'm stretching here, but there there's something with Pioli that I would compare to, to Carlo Ancelotti. Now, not on uh, as extreme a level. Obviously, Ancelotti's won five European League titles, or five titles in, in different European countries, and has four Champions Leagues as a coach to his name. He's on a different level to most. But with the fact that there's a lot of discussion recently about how, where does Ancelotti actually rank in the terms of great coaches, because surely he should be right up there. But he's he's maybe a little bit hampered by not having a, an identity. You know, he's he's not a Guardiola, a Cruyff, uh, even a Mourinho, a Klopp, who has this clear style of play. He's more about how he manages the group and the individuals within the group. And I think Pioli's exactly that type of coach. Like, Pioli doesn't have this tactical master plan. He just knows how to get the best out of the players that he has at his disposal. It's also about what each manager sort of reveals to the wider world because, you know, we talk about Ancelotti or Pioli not having such a clear tactical footprint, but like, you know, that they're, they're clearly tactically astute mm. because you don't, you don't do what they're doing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not just, oh, we're all really good mates and they respect me, so they're playing well now sort of thing. Whereas I think people like people like Pep and Klopp and stuff, they they give these press conferences where they go into genuine detail about um, how they've set up the team and you know, really intricate, which is fascinating to listen to, but not all coaches do that. Sometimes they think, oh, do you know what, that, that's for me and the players to talk about. And I think PLE is one of them. It's not always, even though he's doing brilliant stuff, it's not always to define what it is he's doing right, but it's working, so... All power to <laughs> Vito Raphael, Leao, player of the season. Um, agreed. We're we're all big fans of him on this podcast, but player of the season. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment, and uh, like I was alluding to earlier, I think the way he performed, especially in the second half of this season, I think that really elevates that vote. Uh, just his importance to the team um, and the timing of his assists and his goals. I think that really made a big difference. I also look at this team in general. Uh, like I was saying earlier, he brought the X factor. He was someone yeah. that created something out of nothing. Everybody had the roles to play. And, uh, you know, you had players that weren't as outstanding or they were more or less just foot soldiers. But uh, Leao was someone who brought that spark. He brought that extra flair. And... Uh, when you are able to do that in the moments that matter most, uh, I think Leo was that player, and uh, I think he definitely deserves to be that. And without talking too much about other players who could have won it, I think there were players like someone like Dusan Vlaovic when he was at Fiorentina, he was fantastic. But second half of the season, that Juve transfer, I think that sort of diminished his performances. And then Immobile, Chiro Immobile was. Uh, Fantastic for Lazio, but uh, compared to other years, I wouldn't say it was the best year. But um, whereas Leo, you can say 
this is his uh, best season so far for sure. And most importantly, he was involved in winning a trophy. So yeah, I think when, it's a when we get into our team of the season chat a little bit later, Immobile might cause a little bit of debate um, because it's an interesting one. But you, uh, just a little teaser, listeners. But our FIF official team of the season is quite an interesting one, particularly in attack. I've got some problems with the defense. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm I'm gonna have to have some words with you, but. You can have those words straight back with me when it comes to the front three. So I'll, I'll take it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not expecting it to be as civil as our arrangement with the Serie A Feminile team of the season, Ewan. Um, which listeners will will have. We've done the review part for the Feminile season as well. That will be out a couple of days after this one. Available to everybody as well. So do head over to wherever you're listening to this and listen to that um, on Thursday. So... Leao, incredible. I, I've I found his his maturation this season to be quite remarkable. He's he's come a long way. Even if you look at the photos of him now compared to when he started last season, he looks like he's more of a man now than a boy. Uh, but I, I I refer to this moment more often than I probably should. But there was that goal that he scored against Benevento, and he went to the camera and said, "It's our time now." And that was in about February, and I just thought. What are you doing that for? There was none of that this season. He, he seemed like everything he did was more controlled, but he still had that that willingness to to be daring, to be experimental, to do things that nobody else thinks about as being possible, never mind thinks about trying to do. He's one of the most enjoyable players you'll see. And I just hope he stays in Serie A for a long time because... I love watching him play. Even when he's not at his best, he's he's trying. He'll try to do something. He'll try to force something to happen. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Now, Milan are champions. And there's a double sweetness to that because it's their first Scudetto in 11 years. Huge. And the fact that they dethroned Inter, Ewan, will just make it all the sweeter. But Inter have got to look back at this season. They finished second, okay. They won the Coppa Italia, okay. The Supercoppa as well, but they didn't win Serie A. And that is ultimately how we're going to judge their season and say that it's hard to see it as anything other than a slight disappointment. Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel that it's... I think it will definitely feel like a disappointment to Inter fans right now. But as as not one, I feel like I can jump ahead to what it might look like as the dust settles sort of thing. And I think when when you look at the summer and the way the season panned out and the specific moments, like it could have so easily gone the other way. Like that mm-hmm. that Giroud double, the Andre Radu mistake, like there's the, the margins were incredibly fine. Does that not make it worse though? Because they well, blew yeah, the derby. Yeah. They dominated the derby and blew it. And that's that's it. That is the moment. Yeah, well I think yeah, from a fan perspective, yes. I think from not a fan, I feel like, you know, in a big picture sense, I think you've got to go, well, we went in with a worse squad and a less proven manager and we still won two things, got into the latter stage of the Champions League, which was huge, and went into the final day still with a chance of winning the league. Like, yes, it stings and it'll feel horrible and everything, but overall, I think you've got to go, do you know what, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Like, you know, we, we, every, everyone thought they wouldn't get in the top four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, like everyone thought it would be like a disastrous season, and it was far, far from it. You know, they 
slight changes and you know a couple of slight differences and they could have been they could have won a treble yeah i, I suppose that's a, it's a very balanced mature take on it from you um well, you know. i did i did laugh when you said that everyone had them outside the top four because I'm, I'm one of those people, which you'll see when we get to the, the predictions. And let me tell you, listeners, there's a reason Kev's not on the pod. And it's not because he went to Disneyland Paris. It's because he couldn't face another year of having just dreadful predictions read out. But we're going to read his out because he's a pod regular. So don't you worry. And he's at rabbit rabbit on when you want to send your abuse his way. But Vito, are you as positive as as Ewan is about Inzaghi's first season difficult job to take after Conte difficult even more because Lukaku left Hakimi left there, there were those changes but Inzaghi's first season at Inter what are you writing it hmm. okay if we just focus specifically on Inzaghi I think he still did a pretty good job considering that uh, Inter were forced to sell Hakimi and Lukaku. And uh, it's only his first year there and first year at a really big club. So I think if I had to put a number on it, I would still give it a seven. But as a club in general, I think with uh, Inter just losing that Scudetto and especially that it was to AC Milan out of all clubs, uh, I think that's that's really going to hurts and surely that gives them a bit more motivation and fire to really secure the title back on the blue and black side of town. I think another key thing is obviously we talk about you know Conte, Lukaku, Hakimi, obviously in different circumstances, but they lost Ericsson as well. Yeah. Which is huge. Yeah. And you just start to get fantastic and it you know that's a difficult thing for a squad to take when you lose a player where you know, obviously, with the other two, it was a purely financial thing. You can sort of get your head around it, whereas the Ericsson thing is a unique situation. Um, and then the other thing is that when I say that, you know, you can look at it and think, oh, you know, it wasn't too bad overall, actually. Inter fans will feel more annoyed, more at the sense of the situation with the owners, where like I feel like any annoyance around the season can't be at Inzaghi or the players on the pitch, really. I think it's more to do with the situation where, you know, they've essentially got these owners who, while their heart seems to be in the right place, they essentially flew too close to the sun and now they're paying for it. And if they didn't have that summer that they had, they should have maybe not walked, but they should have won the title again. And they should have been building something for many years, but they kind of shot themselves in the foot with contracts like Vidal and Sanchez and stuff. Perisic might be on his way now as well and and that's one of those there's a lot of players that are leaving this summer but Perisic is the one that will bring frustration in in the Inter fans reaction for so long it did look like we were going to have a three horse title race I'm not going to say we we did have one because Napoli kind of fell away a little bit too early for me but Vito Napoli were looking like the real deal for so much of this season they started better than anybody and they just fell away it's it's disappointing that they did but i guess when you when you look at the squad you can probably understand why they weren't able to maintain the title challenge but it's hard not to look back at this season maybe we're still too close to it but i look at this napoli season and how it ended up and just feel a, a great whole chunk of disappointment 
I share the same sentiment, especially because they started so well early in the season under Luciano Spalletti. They were able to dominate games and even, again, like with Milan, even when they don't, they still had this way of grinding out the results and getting those wins. However, I think one of the turning points was in that Inter-Napoli game where Skriniar and Ozyman collided. And Ozyman, I think, if uh, he didn't get involved in that collision, maybe that would have changed Napoli's psychology a bit. To have the leading man up front fit for the whole season, that might have made more of a difference. However, I can't help but feel that uh, this seems to be a historical thing with Napoli. That, uh, you know... Whenever they have not had Diego Maradona, one way or another, the Partenopei somehow just buckle under the pressure or the weight of expectation, and they just make can complicate some of the most simplistic moments. Or, uh, to be more specific, they lose or draw to teams that on paper um, are weaker and it's those games that they drop points that end up being uh, detrimental to any hopes of them winning another league title. This season's is all the more bitter, though, Ewan, isn't it? Because it, there is that feeling that it's the end of an era. Insigne is gone. He's heading off to Toronto. What's his name? Koulibaly could be off as well. Finally, after summers, after summer, after summer of him being linked with a move. Um. And it would be a shame for this group to, or the the core of this group rather, to to be torn apart without a Scudetto to show for it. Yeah, it, it almost felt like, I don't know if this is just sort of retrospective genius, but it almost felt like they just hit a ceiling. Some, and both within the season, you know, in around whatever it would have been, like March when they fell away, um, and now with the entire squad, Basically, I think the, the ceiling has been hit where they've had a couple of near title challenges and it's not been enough. And I think that's kind of what the owners and the fans are getting angry with now is that under the current regime, they do they do seem to have just hit as far as that squad is going to get unless it starts getting financed in a way that other teams do. Um, it's not going to either, is it? No, so it's it's essentially they're just going to become. I don't know. I feel like I could compare it maybe to what Arsenal became like for many years, where it was just the top four was like that's that's your aim. That that's mm. your that is your winning the league sort of thing. There's you never go aim higher unless something really unusual happens, and it nearly did a couple of times, but it hasn't. And now there's going to be a big change. Although I don't think Kulabali is going to go because he never will. You don't <laughs> think just, so. I do, but also I don't. Like, it makes complete sense that he should go and that he someone should buy him. But like, it's been so close, so many times that I just cannot picture that man in another shirt. Now it's a bit like Berardi. Yeah, well, there'll be more on Berardi later. <laughs> um, I see it as a bit different because I think he's he's wanting or he earns about six and a half million euros a season, but. Uh, Apparently, he's going to be getting a, a reduced contract. Apparently, De Laurentiis is offering just three and a half million euros or just three million euros for a season. And I acknowledge that he's 30 years old, but 
a price cut for a defender like that is absolutely absurd. Even at his age, he deserves a pay rise, not a pay cut. So if someone can offer him a better wage than what Napoli's offering, he absolutely deserves it. So I think with this one, I think Koulibaly, he he should leave. And Napoli, I think they can still make some money out of him considering that his contract expires uh, next year. So I think with him, he should go. As for the Berardi comparison, well, he's... Uh, well, he's 28 in August, so I don't think uh, he, he'd be leaving. I think that rumour, that's going to keep circulating. He's going to be linked with everyone and it'll stay put. But we can talk about that. We've been, there, we've been there before with both of these mm. individuals, let's be honest. But... I did not know that about Cooley Valley. That is absurd. I, if that is as, as Vito was saying that, I was just thinking, huh, where have we seen this before? Oh, wait, Lorenzo Insigne. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to him? Uh, Koulibaly is one of those players I just want the world for. That I, I just want him to win things. I was so happy when he won AFCON. I want him to win a title, whether that's with Napoli or or elsewhere. I'd rather he didn't go to England because I just can't. It just makes me a little bit sad when the best players in Italy go to England. I don't know why. I, I just don't like that happening. And then... When, yeah. There's an inevitability to it, isn't there? Which just feels a bit obvious and so. Oh, I think if a Serie A player leaves for the Premier League and they start getting praise, you just think, we knew it all along. <laughs> then you get these, you get these British pundits or, or the so-called Prem faces, you know, and they put that Farmers League tag on and think, they're already good just because they didn't play in England. That doesn't mean they're absolute rubbish. I mean, if England was the only place to have good football, um, surely if you weren't looking at other Premier League clubs, you'd look at the Championship or League One or Two and you just have all English players. Surely there's a reason why these uh, directors and stuff and the managers, they look at players outside of the Premier League because they see uh, that they have the talent there anyway. It's just that at the in the Premier League, it's far more lucrative. They're going to get paid more. It's simple as that. I will say the, the, there are a few exceptions to my general sadness about players from Italy going to, to England. <laughs> and two of those are Christian Romero and Dejan Kuluzewski. Now, when I see these boys getting praised every week, part of me wants to cry because they could both be at Atalanta tearing it up every week. But... Part of me just thinks, we, we raised them well. <laughs> we raised them well. Kulusevsky in particular, because I, I defended Kulusevsky so, so much. I haven't seen him at Parma. I haven't interacted with him here at Parma. And then when he when he went to, to Juventus, I was I was very much on his side. So now that he's in England and he's just rinsing players, I, I love to see it. I'm, I'm very, very happy for, for Kulusevsky. Um, and Romero's just, I mean, he's mad at me he's one of those defenders that's a lot of fun to watch because you don't know what he's going to do at any given minute. He could lose his head, he could break someone's ankle, or he yeah, could score a belter. Your team. Yeah. <laughs> that's flying in at people. Stop it. Stop yeah. kicking them. <laughs> I have to say, there were a few ropey weeks when Romero started with Atalanta and Gasparini insisted on playing Romero and Palomino, not only in the same back three, but without anyone between them. 
and it was just chaos because neither of them have a head on their shoulders and it was mad but after all of this fun talk about nice footballers we've got to bring ourselves firmly back down to earth and talk about Juventus they finished fourth they're back in the Champions League again but Burnsy boring boring Juventus are back Allegri ball is back and it's dreadful to watch yeah, it's dreadful, but at least they're not winning. <laughs> yeah, but they will. They, I was chatting to someone about this today. I, I'm going to put a lot of money on Juventus winning the title next season. I've got a feeling in my gut that they're just going to like do it in the ugliest way possible, but they're winning the league next season. As we'll come on to, we all said that ahead of this season as well. Um, mm. I think maybe there's more, there's more obvious quality ingredients in the team now. Say that there, there is a handful of players who are very good. There's just a lot of dross around them. And <laughs> a coach who needs to adapt pretty sharply. A coach who needs to stop coaching. Like it's <laughs> it's horrendous. I know he got he to the Super Cup final. The he got to the Super Cup final. They were in the Super Cup final. Um, he got to the Coppa Italia final. He got them back into the Champions League. He'll probably celebrate it as a success, but it's bad. It's really, really bad. Um, Fito, we know what you think about this type of football, but I'm going to ask you a question that I know the answer to. Do you think there's a place for a Massimiliano Allegri in football in 2022? Oh, look, he's he's old-fashioned. He's part of the past. And uh, if Italian football fails to evolve in any sort of way, regardless if it's on the pitch or off the pitch... uh, uh, a coach like Allegri is part of that regression. So uh, I think the fact that he didn't win something is probably a reflection of wh- where the Juventus squad is at now. Well, I think it's also a reflection that Allegri is still too stubborn and that he hasn't realised that he's got to change up his tactics. Even if in the summer they bring in more players and if they look at more technical midfielders, I think... Even even if uh, that happened, I still think he'd want to be defence first, play on the counter-attack, rely on a couple individuals to turn the game around, and that's it. A very old-school way of coaching. But uh, uh, in Serie A, maybe he might get away with it next season. I thought he was going to get away with it this season. Fortunately, you've uh, only had to settle for Champions League <laughs> qualification. But uh, again... Um, yeah, I think next season might be a time that they'll be near the top, but not guaranteed a win. And Europe, I think they'll stink it up once again. In a way, I hope so. But I'm sick of Italian teams embarrassing themselves in Europe. Like the fa- Roma, okay, Roma did what they did, but the fact that the best performing Atalanta or the best performing Italian team in the Champions League in recent seasons has been Atalanta. That says so much. Yeah, Milan, <laughs> it, it is all wrong. It, like, Atalanta were a minute away from a quarterfinal. That was amazing. They weren't incredible last season. They got knocked out by Real Madrid. It happens to everybody as we saw this year. Um, but then this season, they weren't great either. But they are still Italy's best performing team in, in the Champions League in the last three years. And it's it's not right it's just not right. I feel like I'm turning into Andrea Agnelli at the moment, but they didn't, they've not earned the right to be in the Champions League after one season. But yeah, 
Anyway, Juve, Juve, let's leave it there. We'll talk about them again next season for sure. We're going to break this up a little bit now, guys, and, and dip into our individual teams of the season. So I'll ask you guys to get yours ready. We'll we'll go through Vito's, Ewan's, mine. I'll tell you Kev's. Will I tell you Kev's? I don't know if I'll bother telling you Kev's. Well, I'll tell you the, the overall decided <laughs> team of the season. One way minute that we have to tell. Is there? Because I've I've just spotted it. <laughs> all right, well, you and you can start by reading your team of the season, please. Uh, they're all in a three-four-three formation as well, just for the avoidance of doubt. Yeah, so I've got Manyan in there because obviously my back three is Tamori, Bastoni, and Grema. My right wing back is Di Lorenzo. I've got Grozovic and Milinkovic-Savic in the middle, and Perisic on the left, and front three of. Immobile, Abram, and Liam. <laughs> I was I was not expecting the Abram to come out. No, no. It just happened. <laughs> there you go. Uh, thank you. Vito, what's yours? I vote Manjan, Tomori, Delict, Brema, Kandreva, Tonali, mm. Malinkovic, Savic, Perisic, Veradi, Immobile, Leal. Delict is an interesting one. Do you want to explain? I think it was a small. Oh, look, I think it was just more a token Juve player when I think about it. He has, he has improved. Uh, I'll give him that. And, uh, you know, there were a few times in the La Gazzetta dello Sports ratings that I read they picked him quite a few times as Juve's best player on the day. So I think even though he still might have the odd hair in him, I think he has improved a lot. But that... Being said, in reflection, I think in, if I didn't go for him, I probably should have just picked uh, Koulibaly because he had another good season. And when I did the team of the week, he did make a lot of an appearances as well. So I think the other two, though, Tomori, very reliable in defence, especially with uh, Kaye's injury. I think he really went up. Uh, and uh, Bremer, I think he was clearly the best defender of the season. So... Yeah, he, Bremer, for anyone's defence this season, I think he should be the first name. Doesn't matter who you support. Well, Mr. Doria, he's not in mine. So let me tell you, my my three four three. we've all gone for Mike Manian and goal. Back three of Tomori, Bastoni and Pierre The four in front of those, Di Lorenzo, Brozovic, Milinkovic-Savic and Perisic. And then the front three of Domenico Berardi, Abram and... Raphael Liao. Now, I went for Kalulu over Bremer because I've just been so impressed with with Kalulu every time I've seen him this season. He he popped up with an important goal. He's looked like he's one of Milan's first two starting centre backs when he's not. Let's remember he's only there because Kaya's injury and Romagnoli's rubbish. You know, Kalulu is there as really the fourth centre-back. But I, I just think he's been so, so impressive. And I think he's deserving of a place in the, the title win as well. I, I think Milan's title was was built on that defence. So for that reason, I've gone for Manian Tamori and Kalulu in there. The rest of the team is almost identical to to Ewan's. There's, like with the Serie A Feminile 11, Ewan, we've, we've only differed on, on two names, I think. Kalulu and Bremer, and then up front, we, we differed with Berardi and Immobile. Now, 
I'll read out the the overall team of the week. By the way, um, before I get into the overall team of the season, you and don't go through Kev's entire eleven, but name the one. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the for the premium spot of central midfielder, which you can only have two. Mm. Um, <laughs> Kev- mad. That is mad. <laughs> Antonin Barak. Who is a lovely footballer. I yeah. really like him. Yeah. He's not in the team of the season. He's not, is he? <laughs> He's just not. Just Kev does not. this, though. Kev does picks of things like that, and you don't understand it. But uh, Brozovic, Tonali, I-, I think, are much more sensible picks from, from the three of us. But anyway, <laughs> the, the overall team of the season in that 3-4-3, the official FIF at Serie A FFC, if you want to complain about it, team of the season has Mike Mignan in goal. 100% of the votes. Fikaya Tomori, 100% of the votes. Bastoni and Bremer are the other two defenders. I'm outnumbered there. I'm the only one that didn't go for Bremer, to be fair. Um, Giovanni Di Lorenzo's in on the right. Brozovic and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic are the, the midfield too. Ivan Perisic, 100% of the votes on the left. No votes for Theo Hernandez. And the front three. Leao and Abram got in by by count and then it was split between Immobile and Berardi. Now, because Kev isn't on the pod, hang on, have I just invented a rule there? Yeah, I have, never mind. Um, basically, I voted for Berardi because I wanted Berardi in um, and I had the final say. So, Berardi joins Leao and Abram in the front three so if you've got any issues with that hit us up on twitter we've we're not finished with this because and i think (laughs) Vito knows what i'm about to say here but just as i was going through those teams i heard him say it but seeing it in writing antonio candreva Vito. what if we were skipping (laughs) (laughs) uh look it was more based on his first half of the season and, it's outrageous. Uh, I don't care what it's based on. That's a mad pick. I'll give you that that was... Well, he has played wing-back under Antonio Conte for Inter in Italy. But yeah, look, if it wasn't Cadreva, I just didn't really feel like picking Di Lorenzo, I'll be honest. I would have gone for Dumfries if it wasn't him. Okay. Yeah, okay. Dumfries yeah. would have been my but, other pick. I actually think... I don't think there's like someone who, like in defence, everywhere else there's players where you can go, yes, they absolutely have to be in. I think that position was a little yeah. bit harder. Also, I was by no means enamoured with Di Lorenzo. Like you say, Dumfries is an honourable mention. I thought that until I started paying attention to Patrick Kendrick's tweet. Have you seen Napoli's record with and without Di Lorenzo? Basically, oh, I did see that. if, if yeah, Di Lorenzo doesn't play, <laughs> Napoli don't win. If Di Lorenzo plays, mm-hmm. Napoli always win. It's a, it's a crazy record. I've not got the numbers to hand, but go onto Patrick Hendrick's Twitter again and find those tweets because the numbers are frightening. Um, anything else to add on the team of the season before we move on? No. No. Nope. Oh, actually, sorry. Yeah, just not the one that you finalised, but actually Kev's pick about Barrack. <laughs> okay. I do, I do like Barrack as a player. I think he's played very well and he's had his best goal tally in Serie A. Ever, but he doesn't play that deep. So in a tactical point of view, that simply wouldn't work. Be like mm. a 3-3-1-3, three, three, something Bielsa-esque. 
that's interesting. When when I put this, I didn't think about it tactically because I feel like that doesn't necessarily mm. work for a team. That's, I just said that's why I've got like you know save that front three that I've got of Immobile, Abraham, and Leao. That doesn't work. That'd be yeah weird. I feel like Immobile and Abraham would have to be in a two, but I've just gone with individuals, yeah. which I assume is why Andrea. I I go with individuals as well, but to be fair, mine works. Mine does, but that front three is lovely. Leao on the left, Berardi on the right, and, and Abram. Are we just going to call him Abram from now on, by the way? Is that just, that's just what it is? He's, he's not Temi Abram anymore. He's Temi Abram. Like, fine. I'm good with it. Um, let's let's talk about Temi Abram's team, shall we? They, they won the Europa Conference League, and they're back in Europe next season. They've got to step up to the Europa League this time, though. Lazio and Fiorentina are also in Europe after their Serie A finishes. Um, of those three teams, Vito, Roma, Lazio, Fiorentina, have you got anything specific you'd like to say about them? Well, if we talk about Roma in particular, I think in the league it's pretty much maybe what you would expect of them. But mm-hmm. uh, I think their campaign, I think when you really talk about it, and especially that it's, Jose Mourinho's first season with the Giallo Rossi, I think the Conference League is the big talking point. I think it's the just the second European trophy in history since the, the 1961 Bears, Bears Cup, you know, the forerunner to the UEFA Cup in Europa League, for those who don't know. So, you know, a massive weight, and especially considering they lost the 84 European Cup final at home to Liverpool, then the 91 UEFA Cup to Inter. So the European record's not the best, but to get in a man like Mourinho, who knows how to win European trophies and also takes them seriously. So even though this was the inaugural Conference League, Mourinho was someone that was going to actually care about it, not like the other Italian coaches that would just disregard it. So I think to bring him to Rome... And uh, to do what he did, I think it's a, a positive sign. And uh, perhaps for next season, he can build upon that. And maybe they'll do well in the Europa League and even have a stronger showing in Serie A next season. I think that's the thing with the Conference League for them is that, um, like I say, that is a talking point in the season because they won a trophy. Um, I think before the season started, they would have liked to have been more in the picture for a place in the top four but I think it did reach a point where they were their form had picked up and they were heading that way where we were talking about them maybe catching Juve and then they went deep in the conference league I think Mourinho he's done it before he did it at United where he, he very much made a decision of all right I want the trophy <laughs> I'd rather go for this trophy than put all my eggs into plowing on for Champions League and I think a lot of this season has annoyed me, right? I get annoyed quite easily, as as you two know. But Mourinho did a great job with Roma this season. That is a difficult place to go and coach. And he went in, he finished fifth. They were in the Champions League fight for a while. You know, it was only for the last, what, five weeks maybe that they, they fell away from it. And, and they won a trophy. That's a remarkable success. There were some low points along the way, sure, but... I mean, they didn't show up against Inter when they might have done a, a better job. The, the Juve farce, that game was a joke. But in all, I think people have been looking at Roma just because Mourinho's there. And 
at points I've appeared on radio shows in, in other countries and, and things and people have been like, oh, what's he doing now? Like, what's the latest crisis? And I think, well, there isn't the crisis because if his name was any other, you'd only be talking about how well he's doing. But because they've lost a game and it's Jose Mourinho, you think it's a disaster. But I, I think he's done a fine job. And I said at the start of the season that if Roma are there or thereabouts when it comes to the European places and they do something that shows a positive sign for the future, Roma fans will be delighted. You saw the celebrations in Rome when they won the Conference League. They have fully bought into what Mourinho is bringing to the table. And you can't argue with it. He's got a trophy in his first season. You'd back them to push on again next season. He'll probably get a few more signings over the summer too. I think this is probably a very fun time to support Roma. And in recent years, it's been nothing but frustration. I I think they've got the perfect coach for that job at the moment because they're both as mad as each other. Like Rome as a city, Roma as a club and Mourinho are the perfect fit because they're all fiery. They're all insane and they could all just boil over at any minute. <laughs> what Mourinho has also brought is that uh, he's someone that knows how to handle pressure situations or those big game events. So I think that's something that Roma were missing Last season with Paulo Fonseca, they would look fantastic against the small clubs and get the wins, but they would absolutely buckle against the bigger sides or other teams that were really pushing for those European spots. Uh, this season, you could say that you know in some games you know, that they weren't always that great, but uh, I don't think they had the kind of collapses that they would really endure like in previous years I think aside from that heavy loss to Bodo Glimt in the conference league I think that was the only <laughs> real blip of the season however I think in general Mourinho's brought a grittiness that the Jalo Rossi really need so even if they're not going to be playing pretty all the time I think when you have someone like Mourinho there'll be times where they're going to put in the hard yards put in a shift um trying to nullify the opposition and uh, with his experience and tactical nows, I think uh, that he's the kind of coach that would actually improve this team. And so far, we have seen that improvement in his first season, just the way they are as a collective. And uh, I think how everyone plays their part, I think uh, yeah, Mourinho can be very happy with how he started. Serie has a bit rubbish, right? Let's, let's not lie. The quality is not very high. You don't need to be a brilliant team to win win the league. Ewan, could he? Could they? Uh, well, I think with him, you, you always have to say yes to to a, a could he question. <laughs> I think that there's there's nothing that he can't feasibly do. Um, I think there's a hell of a lot standing between them and that right now. Um, you know, if we want to bring up Abraham again. Um, him staying or not is an absolutely ginormous factor as to what they're going to be doing next season. Because if he goes, you know, yes, they'll get a big slice of cash, but, you know, they're going to get somebody in straight away who's going to give them those goals again. And that same feeling within the team, it'd, it'd be very impressive if they did. Um, Zaniola's linked away as well. Um, Oliveira might not be staying. So there, there is there is scope for a lot of change there. Um, I think he's a coach who can handle it and do something interesting with it. But 
I, I'm not sure there's actually that clear a trajectory right now. Whereas, like, you know, you look at the Milan team, you can understand where that is going. There's a clear path there with so many players, whereas I think it's a bit more it's a bit more scattergun for them. Mm. Lazio on the other side of the city. Vito, they've got Maurizio Sarri's first season put behind them now. His first season, not as much of a success as Mourinho's, but baby steps. Baby steps, and also I think they can be happy that they did finish above Roma, even though it was just one point, but a finish above your city rivals is always a good yeah. thing. And uh, I think also that uh, with Lazio, it's still, you know, the whole baby steps thing, I think it's important in this case because the team were patchy at best. That There were moments where we did see some good football from Lazio, but other times they didn't look like they were as uh, cohesive or, if anything, they were just a bit low in intensity from what you would expect from a Sari team, especially if we compare them to how his Empley team was and also how Napoli played in the three years he was there. I think... You know, that's pretty much a high benchmark, at least in terms of his philosophy. So I think they could still do with a few improvements, uh, particularly in defence. But, uh, yeah, it looks like there's a lot of speculation regarding the midfielders, Malinkovic, Savic and Luis Alberto. They've had good years. So I think if they're going to be sold, surely Lotito would be demanding substantial amounts for them. And then even if they do make great pop profits on those two um, that should give Lazio enough money to you know, um, improve the squad in many other parts of the pitch. A squad who have improved dramatically from back to front this season, Fiorentina under Vincenzo Italiano and you and they're back in Europe, it's hard to feel anything but positivity about Laviola even though they lost to some Vlaovic in, in the winter. Yeah, I think they they were having a better season than expected, probably anyway. And then he left, and he feared for them. But while while I wouldn't necessarily say any of the players they brought in in January sort of was specifically better than each other or sort of definitively replaced him, you know, Piontek looked like he might bit, and then that all fell away for whatever reason. Cabral has been patchy, Yukonai has been patchy. Collectively, they've done enough to pretty much maintain the level and manage to get some form of European football, which is has to have been the absolute aim. Um, and it's it's very nice to see them in that position as well. And I think he's done, and he could just to sort of slightly jump ahead, I've got a few of them, so I'm allowed to say this, that mm-hmm. Italiano is one of my highlights, just in, in the sense that he's oh, a okay. coach everyone liked and rated at Spezia, and then when you see him go to a bigger club, and then it goes well, and you can see that he really is a good coach. I think that's just a nice thing. It is a nice thing. Uh, he was a nice thing at Spezia. He's continuing to be a nice thing at Fiorentina. So well, it's all just a nice thing. thing. <laughs> Italiano, isn't it? It's all very, it's all very nice. He's doing a nice. You did I do that right? He's doing yes, a nice. Yeah, he's doing he's a what? Nice. I said Vincent. It, anyway, let's. No, 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 I don't care what you said. It's too late now. There was too much of a pause. The 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 teams who will be disappointed, maybe. At least one of them will be to have missed out on Europe. We've got the next bracket of teams, Atalanta, Verona, Torino, Sassuolo. Now, to have Atalanta in that bracket after what they've been doing in recent seasons seems a bit odd. 
and it seems like a fall off. But uh, Vito, they are disappointed. But it was just one of those years for them, wasn't it? They never had their full squad available. They're still trying to replace losing both Papu and Ilicic effectively at the same time. And as two of the best creative players in Europe from, from 2018 to 2020, it's not easy to do that. So I think this is just a, a blip for Atalanta and they should be back again next season, knocking on the door. I expect them to be fighting for European spots again next season, especially if they can avoid injuries because when Atalanta are at their best, they are a great team to watch and they do punch above their weight. Uh, This season, unfortunately, because of those injury issues, uh, the results weren't coming as frequently and also the performances had suffered too. There wasn't the same urgency, the same flair, so, and that was a bit disappointing. I mean, uh, we talk about missing key players. I think, you know, with Ilicic's personal issues, I think that's a great shame because, you know, I think someone like him really made a difference at Atalanta because Gasparini does have his philosophy and his system. But uh, Ilicic, he was sort of, it was like, I don't think the thorn in the roses analogy is right, but he was just different. Mm. He wasn't a system-based player, and he isn't someone that you can just put in at the fine row and say, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. You just had to let him be. And when you let Ilicic be, he was just magical. He did things that a lot of players could only dream of. Yeah. And his flair just really could turn things around for Atalanta. I mean, the other players would focus on the studied patterns, the common movements and all that stuff, you know, all the intricacies. But uh, Ilicic, he had his own intricacies, just his party tricks, the way he just glide through opponents. And uh, I think ultimately, regardless of the way you coach, you need that player who can just turn things in one moment, that player that just makes you go, wow. And Ilicic on his day was that type of player. So, mm. you know, if... Um, if he's no longer with Atalanta beyond this season or he decides to call it a day, I think it's a it's a shame because he has been a fine player in Serie A, but what he's done at Atalanta, I think some of his performances were just extraordinary. So, yeah, I personally, I can only wish him all the best in whatever path he takes in life. Too right. I think anybody who has watched Serie A regularly over the last even five years, but going as much as 15 years, we'll have a soft spot for, for Joseph Ilicic. And it spoke volumes that there was no word from the club nor from Ilicic that he was going to leave this summer. But all of the signs pointed towards him coming to the end of his time at Atalanta. So their last game of the season was a sellout because people wanted to go and say goodbye to, to Ilicic at the stadium. And about an hour before the, the players got to the stadium, he commented on an Instagram post to that effect saying, it's still too soon. And I just thought, that's great. Because if Ilicic sticks around for another year, even if he only plays a handful of games, that's kind of enough. You know, he, he's at that point of his career. He's done enough for Atalanta in in his time there that people are just happy to see him. And the outpouring of joy 
when his name is on the little graphic that they release on on social media to to name their match day squad it, it's unmatched people don't react like that to to just anybody like there's a there is a special bond there between well between Bergamo and their fans but between Ilicic and and the Curva as well it's it's really nice to see so i hope that Ilicic is still there next season and i hope he can get back to to being in a in a better place, to being able to enjoy his football and getting back into into a bit of a rhythm in that regard. But let's be honest, football is the least of his concerns at the moment. So if he can get back to being mentally in a better place, I, I think a lot of people would accept that with or without a ball at his feet. But the other teams there, you and Verona started off very well. It feels harsh to say they tailed off a bit at the end they're, they're going through some unexpected changes now as well this summer um so what do we expect from them next season because they could well be picked apart this summer yeah i i fear for them now that we know Igor tudor is gone um mm. that is odd it, it is weird in terms of how the season went I, th- I think i think you said tailed off when you said like you said that's harsh i, I think i think leveled out is how I'd say it. <laughs> you know, they obviously they were, they were crap to start with, then Tudor came in, then um, they were way better than expected. They started knocking gently on um, European spots, which is why they're in this bracket. Um, and then, it, you know, then they became one of the better mid-table teams who you don't really want to come up against, sort of thing. But there are good players. I mean, got one of the players of the season in midfield. Um, and there are people who are going to be trying to pit them apart, like you say, and you don't know who they're going to get in. Um, Vito, was it was it Trophy who was linked there, or was he somewhere else? I lost track, because there was about 18 different clubs mentioned. <laughs> no, Cho- Gabriele Trophy was linked with Verona, so it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to see if he does go there. And I think, you know, what he considering what he did at Udinese, I think at Verona he'll have a lot more to work with, depending on who stays, and I think he can... Yeah, build a coaching career from there. Yeah, so, you know, it might not fall away to the extent you might think, but if they end up with somebody different and it doesn't work out, you know, they're in that they're in that zone where they could very quickly find themselves down in the relegation picture again. It, you know, that, that entire bottom, almost 11, as we've seen with teams like Torino, where you can find yourself towards the top of that or right down the bottom of that very, very quickly. Mm. I have an update from Kev Pugchelski's Instagram feed. We, we had a bit of an off-air chat about this. Yeah. It seems like he just had no internet connection because the, the, all of the stories are there now, guys. There's a series of them. The 12-hour silence is finished. He's okay. We can we can all breathe easily. You two have immediately picked up your phones. It's just a, a series of posts from, from Disneyland, guys. It's, it's not really all that special. Um... I'm personally quite pleased this season to see Torino making steps forward again under under even Juric. Vito, I think that everyone talks about how Serie A's better when there's a good Milan and a good Inter. I think Serie A's a much better league when there's a decent Torino side because it adds so much with the derby. But also, I just quite like that club as they are and and they look like they're making steps again. With Juric there, I think they definitely are making some steps. And I think with his style of play, you can 
build something upon that. You know that with Urbano Cairo as president, he's not going to be splashing out money. I think that's very clear. But I think with the resources that Juric can work with, he's someone that can improve players and give them a sense of direction, which is very much needed. As for your comments about having a better Torino, I think it's also part of the nostalgia and mm. the history they once had, You know, especially up to the... Superga disaster of more than 70 years ago and what a great team Torino had back in those days. So I think even after so many decades, there's still that affection for that side, especially for the older generation. And I think that's that's pretty much defined the club history, that Juventus have had continued success, yet that grande Torino team, I think, still rings in the memory because they were so special especially for those generations and even the stories that are told about them. I think that's still in the mind. So, um, And Torino, they're the most supported team in Turin. That's the interesting thing. So yeah. it adds more dimension to the derby. And yeah, look, to be honest, we're talking about last 25, 30 years. I think the Derby della Mole has predominantly just been a, a Juve romp, really. Mm-hmm. So to have a strong Torino, at least it gives that derby a bit of extra spice. So I think we're long overdue for a few Granata wins in that particular fixture. So it wouldn't surprise me if Juric becomes another coach to secure a win in that derby. I think he's got the nous to do that. It's just more about having good enough players to produce those results. Let's hope so. It's always nice to see an upset in the derby. Vito, I'm sure you'll agree the next time your, your derby takes place that it'll be nice to see the underdog win, particularly if there's a, a Coppa Italia derby this coming season. <laughs> um, but Sassuolo, life after Roberto de Zerbi didn't start too badly, Ewan. Alessio Dionisi's come in, he's been a decent replacement, but I think they did regress just a little bit, which is probably understandable. They got a lot of big wins along the way. I mean, they beat everybody, didn't they? Atalanta, Inter, Milan, everybody, everybody. Juventus as well. But Sassuolo will take this. Uh, a good first season under Dionisi. More to build on. Yeah, they're, they're sort of in that little nether zone where with the size of the club and everything, they, you know, if they don't Managed to get into the Europa spots, like you know, it might be a bit. This is something only a non Sassuolo fan would say. You feel differently if you support them, but like if they don't get into their spots, it's not then as long as they're not getting relegated, like it's all fine. Mm. So <laughs> that's almost how it feels like they're in a great place just for being in the division. And there's there's different things you can want from your club, so like there's the, the idea of getting into Europe and maybe winning stuff or whatever, but also the players they produce and or rather develop. And then where, what they end up doing with their careers, that is a different way to have pride in the club you support. And they've got an incredible yeah. crop of youngsters that you assume are going to get picked apart this summer. But, you know, there'll be other ones that come through and replace them. You know, look at when Locatelli left and then they just, you know, Fratesi appears and he's fantastic. Yeah. And um, you assume that there's more of them waiting to replace the three, four, five that could leave this summer. And that, that is a source of pride in itself anyway. They're a lovely club. I've a lot of time for them. You, you just mentioned Locatelli leaving, but Boga left and Traore stepped up two weeks before Bogaiva left. Um, up front, Caputo was sold. 
it didn't matter because Skamaka was there. I, I still think Caputo's probably a better striker now than Skamaka, but long term, I know they put all their faith in Skamaka, but Raspadori as well. They're, there's a lot to like about what they do. And it, it's funny what you're saying. I think Sassuolo are probably an exception to the case that they are just happy. So, like, I, I, I knew that Sassuolo were small, but then this year, I actually went to Sassuolo the Village a few times. Guys, Sassuolo is fucking small. Like, it's crazy that they have a Serie A team. Never mind a Serie A team that have been doing it with the best of them for the best part of 10 years. Like, it's a joke. If anyone that comes to Italy, go to Sassuolo. You'll understand what I mean immediately. And when I say go to Sassuolo, I don't mean go to a Sassuolo match in Reggio Emilia. Go to Reggio Emilia and get on the train to Sassuolo and just walk around Sassuolo for 15 minutes. That's all you'll need. It's a beautiful little village. Watch the women's team and the Primavera team play there because it's a lovely little stadium. And as we said on the Feminile pod, and the Sassuolo women's team are the most enjoyable team to watch in any type of football in Italy. N- no debate. No debate about it. So, so do that and listen to our podcast that comes out later this week as well. Um, you'll learn more about why. But yeah, I, th- I think that's what I'll be pleased just to be floating it there or thereabouts, getting to see these players play every week. You saw when Milan went there for the last day of the season. Even Sassuolo's curva was mostly red because Sassuolo are tiny. They're a tiny, tiny club. You could probably fit the whole village into the map, eh? Like, it's a joke, an absolute joke. But on to the next part of the podcast. We're going to break it up a little bit again before we dip down into the the also-rans and the relegation fighters sorry Vito but before we get into all of that I'm gonna ask you guys for your highlights of the season we'll we'll talk about something positive before we talk about something a little bit depressing now Vito I'm gonna come to you first what is your highlight of the season or if you've got a couple to mention feel free well undoubtedly my best memory of the season was the second derby della lanterna of the season i should have seen that coming i should have seen i think that's an obvious one for everyone at fif and our loyal listeners i think not only to see sampdoria win that but uh, for crescito to have his penalty Mm -hmm. saved by aldero and then to see general go down and then after the win against Fiorentina, they have the possession in the middle of genoa I think for most Blue Chircati fans, if not all, I think uh, that it, those were moments to really brighten up what has generally been a very disappointing season. You're lucky Kev's not here. He would not be standing for that, but I'll allow it. He's embarrassed. Bernsey's just channeled his inner Kev there. You've let him sleep in your apartment one too many times, Um, Go on, talk to me. What's your highlight of the season? I I have three left. um, After the Italiano one. Yeah, they're they're only minor. (laughs) Um, One is, because of his sort of background into the game and stuff, which kind of talked about earlier in the season, um, Junior Macias being good, I think, is a nice thing. I've gone for Uh, nice things. Was An he though? Well, you know, but was he good? Yeah, he he yeah, did two good matches. Yeah, as a squad player, uh, I feel I like being. I think you're reaching. Oh, I think he, 
Nah, but listen, I'm going for a nice thing. It's a nice thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he was like a key player who led them to the title, but you know, he, he played a role. <laughs> he did some things. Rubbish. Um, what I had the various, specifically two of them, but various English slash Scottish lads okay. doing well. Um, I enjoyed that. And from a selfish perspective, I went to a couple of games, which I do not normally manage to do. So therefore, I liked the season. <laughs> Good. I'm pleased. I'm pleased. Um, am I allowed to offer my highlights of the season? As Go ahead. Thank you, Vito. Oh, Ewan doesn't care. Um, <laughs> my highlight of the season is very, very simple. It's it's Giorgio Scalvini because he he stepped up as a kid, a teenager, into an Atalanta team that were in crisis and looked very, very good. So it's a very personal one. My other one was discussed on the other pod that we did. It It was it was the Serie A Feminile, or the, the Coppa Italia Feminile final, because that was just a brilliant occasion again. Um, I just want to very quickly clarify that just then I said English slash Scottish lads. I didn't mean that as like yeah, Scottish people yeah. are the same. <laughs> I should have said and. But I don't want to get attacked online. Ah, uh, okay. No, same. I think it was. I think it was clear enough. I think it was clear enough. Actually, <laughs> let me add to that. Udinese signed an Irish boy. Lovely stuff. He's not there yet, mm. but he'll be there next season. I, I'm, I'm very conflicted, to be honest. And when we, when we get to our preseason predictions, you'll understand more about why I'm conflicted. Because anyone who listens to the penultimate part of the season knows how I feel about Udinese. Let's be honest. And but. I might have to try and make friends now. Uh, Inter did. It's like Kevin Zeffi and he's smashing it. Yeah, Yeah. Smashing it. They've had an Irish boy before. Um, What was his name? Ryan Nolan. I actually saw him play in the Primavera final here in Parma against Atalanta. Um, He's now in Spain somewhere, I think. It's it's not quite gone uh, as planned for him, unfortunately. But Zeffi looks interesting. There's a lot of excitement about him. He was with Shamrock Rovers as well in Ireland who are sorry Rovers fans but no you know I'm not sorry speaking of clubs I don't like they are the Juventus of Ireland nobody likes them so there's a lot of excitement about him there um my my best mates are Rovers fan and he gets really annoyed when I say that they are the Juventus of Ireland but they are they very much are they're by far the biggest club as well so it's it's a plus and a negative um Udinese, Bologna, Empoli, and Spezia. I've left Samp out deliberately there, Vito. We'll get to those in a minute. But Udinese, Bologna, Empoli, and Spezia. Do either of you want to talk about any of those? Um, on Udinese, <laughs> just, to, just to upset you, but then also oh. then, then bring you back around, is that there's no okay. getting away from the fact that once Choppy took over, they were... Genuinely quite good. Yeah. And they were involved yeah. in some very interesting games and have some very interesting players. But with him, again, similar to Igor Tudor, now mysteriously gone, um, you fear that, assuming that people send like Dodgy and down. others, send <laughs> down. <laughs> you think a lot of the good players in that squad are going to get picked off and they might revert back to type and maybe then you'll get your wish of going down. I don't think they're going to kick on in any particular way now. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Uh, <laughs> I am, I'm doing no such thing. I'm doing no such thing, but I'm not gonna say what I did do. Um, story of the season, Salernitana, isn't it? They they were relegated for for so long, 
And now looking back at this season, it's hard to overlook the, the Davide Nicola miracle keeping them up. But then you've got to remember all of the ownership drama that was surrounding the club. That was this year. They were nearly getting kicked out of Serie A at the end of December because they couldn't find an owner of the club. But Vito, their fans have been through it all and they're going to enjoy another season in Serie A next time. It's incredible that they managed to do that. But uh, I think it's also a real... Yeah, it's been topsy-turvy right, and it shows that they've just performed this absolute football miracle, really. Looked like, you know, they were close to being expelled from the league because they couldn't uh, resolve this ownership situation, but uh, they managed to do it. Yervolino has taken over. Sabatini is the sporting director. They brought in a lot of players in January, and I think it was really a matter of trying to get the right coach because... uh, Fabrizio Castori looked a bit out of his depth. Stefano Colantuono hasn't really been good enough for Serie A for years. So to bring in Davide Nicola, um, I think uh, he's someone that knows how to deal with relegation scenarios. And probably in the last uh, two months of the season, they just really skyrocketed out of nowhere. And they put on, they put through this incredible run. And uh, even though they got smashed 4-0 on the final day, it was still enough to get them over the line. So, um, yeah, hopefully now that there's a bit more stability, that next season they don't have to go through a more tumultuous ride during the campaign. I do feel kind of funny that you woke up at 5am and you and I have both at different points in this podcast disappear from our desks to go refill our beers because we're we're trying to get through the evening Vito's fresh in the morning he's had a coffee um I do feel like it'd be turning my stomach if I was on the other side of, of this so Vito, I'm sorry um, but we're, we're just trying to get through what is quite uh, a warm good. humid night here in Palmer to be honest the temperature's dipped which has been nice it was like stormy and stuff we had it down to like 17 today but the humidity was like 93% at the moment. And that's just, I'm suffering here, but we'll, we'll yeah, get through it. Tough we'll get through it. On, on Solanitana, it's a small point, but the fact that they've stayed up their first season, I always just feel like it makes it more likely that they will stay up again because you'd back them to finish ahead of Cremonese, Lecce and Monza, depending on what Monza are able to do this summer, I, I guess. But Salernitana will, will back themselves to be in Serie A for a bit now. Um, those three teams are coming up to replace Cagliari, Genoa and Venezia, who go down. And to be frank, they've all been rubbish. Ewan, have you anything to say in defence of those three sides? Uh, I suppose in defence of Venezia, you could say that. Oh, oh, they, they're they not the one really to one. defend. Well, you know what I mean in the sense yeah, that okay. you know they definitely should have made a better fist of it, but they weren't like they weren't aiming for promotion in that season, and then you know it happened, and um, I think it, you know it, it all got better of them basically. You know they 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 did bring in quite a few players who on paper were promising and had done interesting stuff in other places, but it, you know, it just didn't click and that's the way it be sometimes. 
I'm all for giving coaches a chance, but I think in hindsight, they should have sacked Paolo Zanetti a lot earlier. Uh, once I saw that they promoted Son Shin from the Primavera team, I thought maybe they could have done a bit better in certain parts of the season if if Zanetti just had been replaced, because even though the start wasn't too bad, just as the season went on, it didn't look like anything was changing. So... Um, uh, the squad, look, was a weak team on paper and I said from the very beginning that they were lacking that Serie A experience. But even performance-wise, there were times that they weren't actually that bad. They did have some mm. good days, but I think um, realistically, overall, was a step too far. In the disappointments of the season section, I've put Atalanta, Sampdoria and and Napoli and all for very different reasons. Atalanta, their season was disappointing, but there were other circumstances. Napoli end the season in disappointment because they set the bar so high for themselves throughout the season. Sampdoria, Vito, they just weren't very good, were they? Not at all. Not at all. Some, in my view, and I've said it over the years, I think mid-table mediocrity is what we can really hope for. I think that's really what fans should really expect. But to be dragged in the relegation battle is too low for a club of some stature. I think the appointment of Roberto Daverso as a coach mm. was a poor one. And then, and then by December, Ferrero had to resign because he was arrested on uh, uh, accusations of fraudulent bankruptcy. So then Marco Lanna, a former defender during the Samp glory days, he had to step in. So um, Giampaolo returned, club survived. But when you consider that uh, Ranieri had done well in the year and a half or two years he had been there, they finished ninth under him. And uh, he really made the team, I mean, he really made yeah, a squad that was greater than the sum of its parts. So to fall down like that and, you know, hover in that relegation zone, that's still disappointing. So mm. regardless of what happened in the derby and that general go down, even if we just focused on ourselves, I think the Blue Chodkati need to have a serious assessment of the squad and uh, how things are going to improve off the pitch as well. I know I enjoyed winding you up towards the, the end of the season about me being on the, the Genoa bus and wanting Genoa to stay up, which, which I'll be honest, I did want Genoa to stay up, but I have Samp in that same category as, as Torino for me. They're one of the clubs that I love seeing do well. I love a strong Samp. I love a strong Torino. I think they offer a lot to this, to Serie A, more than what other teams do. Even a strong Verona, I'd take a strong Samp or, or Torino over them any day of the week. Yeah. I was discussing this, yeah, actually during my day job because one of the customers at work, he's from Savona. Um, hmm. He's gone back and forth to Italy and he's an avid Samp supporter. So uh, it's one of the few times where I can actually talk about the Luciarchiati outside of the pod or outside of social media. So that was one of the things I was uh, talking about. That's, you know, we hope that the ownership scenario can be resolved. And we were generally saying that, uh, you know, if even if we don't reach those glory days again under Paolo Mantovani, at least uh, 
if we can have someone who can uh, invest in the club, that'd be great because Sampdoria is one of those clubs that I think does it doesn't matter where they are in, on the table. They're one of those things that get praised. And the surprising thing is that even amongst the British fans, um, it's easy to get the criticism of Italian football, in the, especially in the past, being defensive and all the bad labels it's got. But some are one of those clubs that's actually got lots of good praise. Even from the English, there's still this memory of that 80s and 90s squad. The shirts, the blue shirt cards yeah. are still considered to be one of the most beautiful in the world. And that's <laughs> some claim to fame this day that it's still La Maglia Più Bella del Mondo. Mm. It's still that. And then all the great players that have played for the club over the years. So I think the appeal is still there. And also, regardless of how strong the weak the team is, I think most of the time, some are a team that actually try to play football. They actually give players a chance as well, discover these unknowns. And uh, there's that time, most of the time they play like there's nothing really to lose. I think when Sump loses games, it's not just because the other team's better. It's also because they were too afraid or they didn't try. But when Sump don't play with fear, uh, Sump do overachieve. And I think that's one of the few redeeming features about Sump. So, yeah, of course, I have my bias, you know, my surname being Doria and hearing all the chants. But uh, I think there is that appeal for neutrals that there's something about Sump that just draws them to the club. I laughed when you spoke about the shirt, not because I disagree that it's the best shirt in the world. I personally agree that the Samp shirt is unmatched, but because there's someone, <laughs> a very, a very dear and loved member of, of the online Atalanta supporting community. Um, <laughs> there was, they tweeted the other day and they couldn't work out why, Samp were called the Blue Giacchiati. Why? Where was the circle element in this? And it was like because the, there's a circle that goes, and they're like, "But I don't see a circle." And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> because you're looking at the front or the back. But if you go above and look down, the circle is around the person." And it took a lot of tweets for the for the. <laughs> Ball to drop. <laughs> I, just, I found it very enjoyable at the time. I love the person. They're a wonderful person. But that just tickled me. We all have moments like that. And I had forgotten about it until you started talking about the shirt there. So thank you for bringing that up. Sorry if you're listening for bringing that up. But, oh, it made me laugh. It made me laugh. Um, we've reached the end. So... Before we conclude, we're going to look back at how stupid we all are and and talk about our pre-season predictions. These are nicely grouped up into different categories. So at the beginning of every Serie A season, we predict our top four in order, our relegated teams in order, top goal scorer, player to watch, and then a, a more open to interpretation, what you'd like to see this season so i'm gonna go first and then you guys can comment on on my predictions and then we'll go with you and then we'll go with veto i probably won't hold back in ridiculing you guys so 
don't hold back. All right. You're free to say whatever you want. Call me anything you want. Um, listeners at Clancy on Twitter if you want to send me abuse. I've had plenty of it this season. What's a few more tweets? So my top four in order. Juventus, Atalanta, Milan, and Napoli. Ewan, your top four? Oh, I thought you were going to do the lot. Uh, Juve, Atalanta, Inter, Milan. Okay. Not too different. Vito? Mm. I had Juve, Atalanta, Napoli, and Milan. Okay, so you, you, like me, went with, with Inter falling out of the top four. Mm. We all had Milan in the top four, which I'm quite relieved about because not everybody on the website <laughs> did. Um, I'm going to tell you Kev's. <laughs> can, I, no, can I tell you Kev's top four in order? Like, he's made no secret of this, to be fair to him, throughout the season. He went for Atalanta. <laughs> He went for Atalanta to win the Scudetto. <laughs> Juventus to finish second. Inter to finish third. And Milan to finish fourth. But the, the Atalanta shout wasn't actually that bad. They just had a disaster with injuries. But based on last season, I, I think there was reason. The fact that we, we both went from them to finish second as well. But it's funny that they finished, what, eight? <laughs> he had them as champions, but... All right. Um, you've been kind to me there. Relegated from 18th <laughs> to 20th. I've gone for... Oh, Ewan's laughing already. I've gone for Udinese, Spezia, and Venezia. Now, one of those was me being very hopeful. One of those was going against what I hoped. And, and one of them was just, I mean, the most obvious thing in the world, right? But, yeah, they stayed up. Ewan, what are your bottom three? So I went with Calgary, but then Torino mm. and Salerno. Torino. So yeah, which I'm trying to remember what the you thought had, process was. Imagine it. But, well, they had a stink of the year. You before, thought Venezia would stay up? In the same way that you put Udinese to go down. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's, okay. it's the same in, in the other direction, isn't it? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Vito, your bottom three? My bottom three were Verona, Salernitana, and Venezia. Sorry? Hellas Verona? I did that, but as I pointed out at the start, it was dependent on how long Di Francesco was going to stay there. Okay. That was my deciding factor. Nah, I'll accept that, you know. That's that's fair. A lot of people said Fair that, enough. Yeah. All right, Vito, that's not as bad as it first seemed, to be fair. Top <laughs> scorer, I, looking through this, there's a lot of mad ones because nobody saw a, a particular departure coming. I went for Chiro Immobile. Ewan? Uh, yeah, didn't. I went with Ronaldo. That'd be short. Where he went. Yeah. When was this published? This was August... Before the 20th. start of the season. I can tell you almost the I date. I think he played two games, happened. didn't he? Yeah, I was away. And I think I went on the 28th for not very long. So it was like, it was mm. only a few days later after we did this <laughs> that he then started off. 
Yeah. It made me look daft. I think I it was. It was the day. The day of the Udinese game was when it kind of happened. But then it dragged on for a few more days, didn't it? But we still got that amazing memory, which again is, is my highlight of the season. When he thought he scored a late equalizer, a winner, he took his shirt off, got booked. <laughs> And then it was offside on far. That was that was the best moment of the season. But because it was Cristiano Ronaldo, you don't think that it, it was actually this year. Mad, isn't it? The only thing that dates it for me is that they were wearing that stupid yellow shirt. Um, Vito, <laughs> your top scorer? I went for Immobile as well. Yes, Vito. Point for each of us there. We'll take it. We will take it. Player to watch. Now, this is a bit more open to interpretation. I went for Giacomo Raspadori. I think that's a justified selection without being a remarkable one. Um, Ewan? I went for Nicolas Gonzalez, which worked out to an extent, but maybe not quite as I'd envisaged when I put that. Um, Can I make you feel a bit worse about that pick? Can I make sure. you feel worse about that pick? Kev also went for him. I did spot <laughs> that, yeah. which is, is not good. <laughs> Kev got Immobile as Capo Cannonieri, by the way. So we've yeah. got to give him his dues. We've got to give him his dues. Vito, your player to watch. You look like you're squirming. Well, that was because my choice was from absolutely left field. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, well... Actually, you would know who I'm talking about, but uh, most other people wouldn't. Um, Alessandro Cortinovis, who's an Atalanta youth team ah, product. Okay. Gorgeous player. A gorgeous football player. Yeah. Um, I thought that he was going to go on loan to Elas Verona, mm. but then he ended up going to Regina. He played a bit, but didn't do too much. So, oh, he obviously... He scored a bloody good goal. There's a, he scored a... Res- a, a disgraceful lob. It was gorgeous. Yeah, I'm hoping next year someone football. could snap him up. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like Cremonese would be good. Mm. I think he'll do something. I don't know if it's this season, but he will do something. He'll have a good career. He's a yeah. f- oh, just one of those players. Mm. One of those just players. Again, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Good. Exactly. I'll tell you what, I was actually going to go for Cortinovas. I remember this. I had him on my player to watch because I remember he was being linked with Elas Verona and I thought that'll go well. But then I decided I wasn't sure if he would make the move. So because he hadn't made the move yet, I went for, for Raspadori because I knew where he'd be. Um, mm. What would you like to... <laughs> What would you like to see this season? Now I'm gonna I'm just gonna read out exactly what I wrote, and I'd encourage you guys to do the same thing if it's as ridiculous as mine. Um they've lost Rodrigo de Paul and Juan Musso, so it's high time Udreza are relegated to Serie B. They've stunk Serie A out for years now. Let's get them gone. At the top, another team wearing black and white falling short would be great. And let's hope that this year is the one that sees Atalanta go on to even more ridiculous heights. But the the main takeaway from that is they've stunk Serie A out for years now. Let's get them gone. Blinded by They're going to stink it out for another year. Mm-hmm. They're going to stink it out for another year. <laughs> we all know who that is. <laughs> The less that about it, the better. You and what's your what would you like to see? 
So mine's quite long, but I did actually read him back through it. I largely got what I wanted. Um, I put a title race that runs the final day. We got the joy of someone other than Juve winning last season, so now we want the whole thing. Interrupted up fairly easy last time, so regardless of who's involved, brackets, not Juventus, I want the title to be undecided as the final set of fixtures kicks off. So we got that. Also, it'd be great That's to see good. Dusan Vlaj, assuming he stays, I put. So that kind of half worked, half didn't really kick on and show he's not a one-season wonder. Yeah, so we pretty much got that. Um, I think you've smashed that. Finally, I want, yeah, but finally, I want to see Fikayo Tomori and Timmy Abraham. I did spell it like that. Um, show English lads that moving abroad is great and make Chelsea look daft. And that definitely happened. What? You have yeah. smashed yeah. it. I, I think we've got to say that's. Uh, I think Burnsy gets three points for that. To be honest, that's mm. very very yeah, good. Fair play to you. you make it up. <laughs> I'm applauding. It is there. I I can check the edit history as well. You don't have the right to edit that. So, well done. Very very well done. Vito. Oh, I wrote Italian. Lean strikers like Giacomo Raspadori, Gianluca Scamacca, and Patrick Cutrone score plenty of goals in Serie A, so Ciro Immobile and Andrea Bellotti have competition in the Azzurri squad. I would like to see Nicolo Zaniolo stay fit and have a great season. So, Give you that one. Uh, a winning goal in a European Cup final. I mean, yep. that shows he lasted until the end of the season and he had a decent mm. impact. I'm yeah. not sure about the strikers purely because you mentioned Patrick Cutrone in there. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's well, that's the sticking point. Uh, Scamacca, Scamacca had a super, had a yeah. very good year. Raspadori, as expected, had a very good year. But yeah, uh, take in hindsight, you take out Cutrone and probably put Pinomonti because he mm. had the better year out of the two. Cutrone was one of the flops of the season. <laughs> he was. He really was. It's disappointing. But, guys, that brings us to the end of the podcast and with it, the end of the season. Pa- or not patrons, rather, but maybe. Because, listeners, if you've stuck us out for an hour and 38 minutes on on the review pod, please do consider heading to Forza Italian Football's Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football. Support us. Throughout the summer, the website, the operations, the the continued attempted growth of the podcast, we will be doing some different things next season. We will be continuing with podcasts throughout the summer, um, not more than one a week, though. But if you do fancy getting involved, head over to, to patreon.com, support us, and enjoy those as we record them. So thank you very much for sticking with us throughout the season thank you for everyone who signed up on patreon we really really do appreciate your support hopefully next season you will start to see a lot of the the rewards from that in in that the, the the audio quality will be improved we're going to be having some conversations over the next few weeks about what else we could add as well and i've got a couple of ideas so it should be a good year next year um thank you very much as well for sticking with us for what is it 13 seasons now of this podcast remarkable that we're still knocking about but here we are so everybody thank you very much thank you from me thank you from Burnsy. thank you from Vito. a drunken thank you from kev and thanks from from everyone at forceitalianfootball.com we will speak to the patrons over the summer 
And for the rest of you, enjoy it. We'll speak to you next season. Bye-bye.